There are many ways people listen to vision, including through a PC at work. When you fire up your computer at work, go to vision.org.au slash listen and click the Vision or V180 Listen Live buttons. You can also catch the latest Vision National News Bulletin and enjoy a growing range of on-demand podcasts from the same page all while you work. However, and wherever you listen to Vision, you can be sure that the announcers, programs and music will help you look to God daily. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. Uh, we're going to have a, a, a bit of a build-up to the royal wedding. It's, of course, been in the media, in the headlines everywhere. You might have been caught up in royal fever. Who doesn't love a royal wedding? Or you might be like a lot of people and saying you're already over it before it even happens. Well, tomorrow night, our time in the UK, a horse-drawn carriage will carry Prince Harry and Meghan Markle to St George's Chapel at Windsor Castle, where the Dean of Windsor, the Right Reverend David Connor, and the Most Reverend and Right Honourable Justin Welby, the Archbishop of Canterbury, will officiate as the couple make their marriage vows. Not sure if you noticed, but the biggest weddings in the world are Christian church weddings. And royal weddings set the ultimate standards not only for extravagance, but also for the ceremony and the meaning for marriage. Well, you wouldn't know it in the lead-up because the mainstream media doesn't draw much attention to the fact that Queen Elizabeth is head of the Church of England and that weddings in her family are always immersed in levels of symbolism that highlight a deep understanding of Christian relationship between a man and a woman and, of course, our relationship to God. So we'll talk weddings today and wedding ceremonies. Our special guest has an intimate understanding of weddings as they happen in the Anglican tradition and has been an outspoken defender of Christian meaning in the wedding ceremony. Robert Forsyth is a former Anglican Bishop of South Sydney. He's a former chaplain to the University of Sydney and these days has become an active defender of freedom of religion in his role as Senior Fellow with the Centre for Independent Studies. I want to make a special welcome to 2020 to you, Robert Forsyth. Thank you, Neil. Great to meet, be on with you again. Uh, Robert, time. we've had a conversation or two in the past, and it's been around issues to do with wedding ceremonies. So looking forward to a conversation like this today, and want to invite listeners to join into our conversation. Our talkback line open now on 1-800-316-316. You can also leave a comment on our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash vision radio. But Robert, let's start with something very simple that brings us all into the picture of a royal wedding every church wedding's like a royal wedding because we're being married in some sense in the courts of the lord in the sight of god and uh, church weddings are pretty important like that aren't they yes i noticed that uh, this morning um i think it was was it the dean of windsor someone was saying that because um megan and, and harry wanted uh, a marriage with what was the word? Some word about depth or deep meaning. They wanted, quote, a religious service. In other words, for, to, to have a service which consciously evokes God as witness, which is what being married in a church is about. It's not about a building. It's about uh, the conscious acknowledgement that you're not just making promises to each other, but 
before someone much deeper, more powerful, way beyond yourself, gives those weddings a depth. And I think that's what's behind. I, I don't know where uh, the, the married couple stand personally, but I know they've consciously sought for a Christian wedding service because they're wanting a service uh, with, some, with, I said, that depth and meaning beyond simply themselves. And that's what any Christian wedding, whether it's in a church or wherever it's done, as long as it's a Christian wedding where um, it's consciously in the sight of God, uh, it takes place. It does seem to be that when you look at mainstream media coverage, and there's lots of different dimensions and uh, lots of fun aspects, a lot of rumour-mongering, a lot of controversies, a lot of those sorts of things that are going on in the media in the lead-up, but this idea that uh, there is a great heritage of Christian weddings in the monarchy uh, of course, as I mentioned, Queen Elizabeth, head of the Church of England, uh, people are not talking about the religious aspects. It's almost as though people want to avoid the idea of the religious aspects of a wedding. Is that something you uh, have been thoughtful about? Well, I, th- I think she's not called the head. I think she's called the governor. I think that's a subtle difference. Um, the, queen, the, queen, the monarch is the governor of the Church of England, not, not, by the way, the Anglican Church of Australia. We're a completely independent national church. But in England, you have the very strange situation from our experience in Australia that one particular church, the Church of England, is the church established by law, which means that um, when England was just purely Christian, at least nominally, everybody belonged to that church. It was a one church, one nation world. Of course, today the world is uh, many, many other forms of belief and churches, but we still have the Church of England is the established church, which means a wedding like this is not just a private event. It's much bigger than that, and therefore all such events take place in the Church of England. This can lead to tensions, I think, at times, because um, people, I think, would like it to be religious, but are, anxious, are not entirely sure what religious means anymore. good example, I thought, Neil, was a, was a funeral service of Lady Di, um, which was a strange kind of combination of a Christian funeral with all kinds of other things going on. And it wasn't quite clear, if you looked at it objectively, what was really happening. I think the wedding, this wedding, like the wedding of um, William, will be much more explicitly Christian than things like Lady Di's funeral because um, it's been conducted according to the rights of the, Ang- of, of the Church of England and you'll, you'll be un- unmistakably Christian. And it'll be interesting to see what the paparazzi and the commentators make of it. In fact, deep down, I think they'd rather like it, actually. Deep down, I think they're rather pleased that it is not just in a, a few gushing sentimental words in a, in, 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 a, uh, um, in a garden. I think that deep down, although I'm not quite sure what to make of it, I think even those who are not believers have a sense that doing this this way gives it a moment that you otherwise wouldn't have. I remember watching Will and Kate's wedding and uh, perhaps, uh, you know, looking at things through eyes different to what ordinary people might be looking at. You know, everyone's got their eyes on the bride. And uh, here am I sitting at the wedding, got my eyes on the uh, the minister who's uh, who's conducting the ceremony. And just the depth of understanding about what it is to be married in the sight of God comes through so powerfully and and in my thoughts, and uh, gleaning your uh, understanding here, but having a royal wedding, which has such Christian depth, is almost like hitting the reset button. 
everybody's mm. off on all sorts of tangents and wondering what weddings and marriage is all about. And you get a royal wedding where the eyes of the world are all focused there into church. And it's like hitting the reset button that says, this is the way we do this in the sight of God. Yeah, I think there's a great deal of truth in it. It's the form of words. We don't know the exact form of words, but I can give you almost certainly what they will be. They'll be the form of words that go back to the prayer book of 1662, which itself goes back to the prayer book um, uh, of, six, of, 15, of the 16th century. So we, the form of words will be words four, five hundred years old at least. Uh, I take you to be my lawful wedded wife, to have and to hold from this day forward, for richer, for poorer, for sickness, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish, till death us do part. Um, according to God's holy word, and to this I give you my promise. Something like that. Those words, which um, are the words from the, the the key moment in the wedding service, have a power about them and a, and, and a focus about them that, in a sense, remind us whether you're a Christian or not, whether you get married in church or not, what marriage actually is. Those are powerful things. And as you say, 500-year-old words. Uh, and In fact, I don't know when they started, frankly. Okay. Well, <laughs> let's take it back uh, to where their beginnings would be. And these would be words founded from Scripture. So while we talk 500-year-old words, we're talking about well, concepts and theology and those sorts of rich things that come from the Bible. Y- yes and no. Um, uh, you'll be aware, Neil, there is nothing in the Bible at all about how to get married. There are no marriage services. In fact, we don't even know how people got married. We know there were weddings. Jesus turned water into wine at one. And um, the notion of wedding in a, marrying in a church is not a, is something which slowly developed and uh, wasn't actually mandatory until only a few hundred years ago. And then now it's no longer mandatory at all. So um, at one level, the, the, the service is trying to put into, into our words, as you say, the concept of, of what marriage is rather than deliberately just lifting the words from Scripture. And the concept of marriage is that two people make a promise to each other to live in what I call a permanent um, partnership, exclusive partnership for life, husband and wife. And that's what they promise together. And I think in, in terms of marriage, in biblical times, marriages were effectively fairly private affairs. They weren't solemnized because the marriage is, is not something the church does. It's something that a couple does. It's just that in, in, in that, those wonderful words of those old prayer book services have caught, and so well put, the whole fact that I'm making a promise to you, no matter what, I'm going to keep loving you as your husband or loving you as my wife. But instead of saying no matter what, pretty prosaic, it says, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health. What a lovely way to express um, all the things that might go wrong in life, but you hope don't go wrong in life but I'm still going to keep my promises. So it, that's what they do. They, the, the, the service captures, I think, the concept of marriage in the Scripture rather than being a direct derivative from any orders of service that we find in the Bible. Uh, Robert, let's get to one of those really controversial issues. And uh, as it was uh, at Will and Kate's wedding, and uh, as it dates right back to Charles and Diana, where the words love and obey uh, were taken out of the wedding service and uh, controversially because some people think that because those traditional vows 
are uh, so traditional and perhaps uh, hundreds or thousands of years old that they ought to be in a wedding service. What are your thoughts about the inclusion of that word obey? And I'll, of course, invite listeners into uh, I'll invite listeners into the conversation here too. This is quite controversial. No, it is. It is. It's. It's. It's not. It's very controversial and difficult. The in its original context, and the word obey is a strange word because that's other than one reference in uh, one Peter. The notion of wives obeying their husbands is not directly biblical. It's they, they talk about wives order yourselves under your husbands to uh, submit to them, something like that. Um, the 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 biblical understanding taken on the face of it, which has been reflected in. Christian understanding of marriage until the last few hundred years was that there was a difference in relationship between husband and wife. The husband had to love his wife as Christ loved the church, but the wife in some way responded to that by respecting, submitting to her husband. It's based upon the words, for example, in, in uh, the epistle of St. Paul to the Ephesians, chapter 5, uh, from, from, from uh, St. Peter. It has a deep background. And that, that, that's been caught in the service where the, where the, uh, the wife says in the traditional service, uh, the husband says to love and to cherish, and the wife says to love, to cherish, and to obey, to death us depart. For all kinds of reasons, um, obey is not something that people normally, normally understand today if they're not going to buy the deep, different biblical view, and there's a lot of controversy amongst Christians about that view. Um, I'm... I'm not. I'm not really, really upset if, if the word obey is out, as long as no one makes a big point of it. If you know what I mean. I think the wife has an obligation, as Paul says, to respect her husband, to fear her husband, and the husband to love his wife. And I think probably words like that uh, might be better. Uh, we, we're in, when I was Bishop of South Sydney, I chaired a panel that tried to come up with a more modern form of service, and we put the word submit in, which we thought was better than obey. But we cause an absolute hornet's nest of controversy because submit seems to be some worse than to obey. So maybe the word, a modern word, which should be something like uh, to respect or something like that to try and capture the nuance of the biblical phrase. But uh, I don't think Di, I don't remember what William and Kate had, nor what Di and Charles had. I cannot remember. Um, you, you, you were sure, William, that it wasn't in there. Uh, yes, absolutely sure. Uh, going back to uh, Charles and I, uh, there was something uh, there deliberate uh, that took the word obey out of the vows, and uh, that was carried through with uh, William and Kate. And uh, and so William and Kate did not use the 1662 book. They used uh, the, a book which was, although never fully officially adopted, was prepared in 1927-28 which is still old-fashioned language, but some other changes. And I think that they used as, as conservative a book as they could find without the word obey in it. It wasn't deliberately done. I think you'll find that was in the order of service of the 1928 book, if I'm not mistaken. Well, uh, listeners might like to contribute into this part of the conversation. Our talkback line is open on 1-800-316-316 or you can leave a question or a comment on our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash vision radio. There's going to be a, a few different things in the wedding ceremony, Robert. Uh, the traditional ceremony conducted by the Dean of Windsor, 
The Right Reverend David Connor, while the Archbishop of Canterbury, Justin Welby, will officiate as the couple make their marriage vows, yep. but there's also going to be an extra dimension here, and that is the pioneering American bishop, the Most Reverend Bishop Michael Curry from Chicago, Illinois. Yep. He's been invited to deliver the addresses the couple strive to reflect their transatlantic relationship amid the tradition of St. George's Chapel. Not sure whether you're across all of that, but there is something significant about to happen because some relations between England and America are about to be revived in a significant way. This is both good and bad news, if I may be frank. Um, okay. I believe Bishop, Archbishop, Bishop Curry is a very fine preacher, and uh, exciting. I think I think I think we're in for a bit of a treat. My, I'm looking forward to it. And I and I'm wonder. Well, I'm very pleased that such a qualified man. The trouble is, there's major d- dispute over over the policy of the, what's called the Episcopal Church, which is the name for the Church of England in, in America, the Episcopal Church. They they have led the world in um, revising Christian understanding of Christian discipleship, and believing that God blesses, and now even prepared to have marriages. Of same-sex couples, like we've had the, I know the law has been changed here in Australia. That church has fully been on on board with that, and this has caused a major crisis of fellowship between the Episcopal Church and many other Anglicans around the world who believe this is a very significant failure uh, to be faithful to biblical understandings of marriage. And um, by Justin Welby inviting Curry, there's a uh, sadly, a controversial side that I, I wish wasn't uh, in in the background of this, but that's the truth. Life, culture, and current events from a biblical perspective. Twenty twenty on Vision. Uh, we're talking royal wedding today. The biggest wedding of the year is happening tomorrow night. Our special guest, as we talk through issues to do with the royal wedding and wedding ceremonies, Robert Forsyth, a former Anglican Bishop of South Sydney, these days Senior Fellow with the Centre for Independent Studies. And we are taking calls on 1-800-316-316. You might like to leave a comment too on our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash vision radio. Uh, Robert, Let's take a call. Rosemary is in Melbourne. Hello, Rosemary. Welcome along. Uh, good morning, Neil. How good to hear you from today? you, Rosemary. What are your thoughts? Um, just briefly, um, first of all, I'm thinking of the word in the marriage vow, cherish. And um, also, as with the Lord, um, in relating to others, it's rather big, selfish, selfless more than selfish and thinking of what is for the other person or people's you know their um, that they would have a a good day rather than selfish how can my day be marvellous myself in pride rather than in pride in humility there was a popular song by a African American group a few years ago back in the 70s I think now Cherish the Love and it was a very good song and I thought um, you know Methodist um, Baptist and Evangelical in the United States a lot of African and other people and um, just um, a few thoughts with that and also um, Rosemary let's pick up on some of those because the word cherish and of course we're back to the wording in wedding vows here 
Robert, when we talk about those words, obey, and we were talking about submit, uh, what we're talking about here is an issue of, uh, you know, how we get into a a semantic way of talking about how these sorts of things are delivered, perhaps not using those words that have been controversial. What are your thoughts for Rosemary? Well, the word cherish is a lovely word. I'm glad Rosemary drawn attention to it. Um, I think it has echoes. I'm trying to think. It's probably from what Paul wrote in Ephesians 5 about the husband cherishing his own body and cherishing his wife. The modern English translation is rather boringly got, I think, care for, which is far less exciting. <laughs> cherish means that the, the, it's interesting that the marriage service that depends upon the belief that a person can make a solemn undertaking about their future behaviour to love and to cherish somebody else. And, and, and um, it's, it's not a statement that they presently love. I mean, we hope they do. That's always a good start. Uh, they're not asked, do you love your wife? In fact, the I do only occurs in the traditional service when um, the, the person who gives them away says, who brings this person? I do. In an in a, in a Anglican service, you say, I will. I will do these things. I promise to do these things. So it's based on the belief, Neil, that you can make a solemn lifetime undertaking. You will now love and cherish this person. Um, I think that's a remarkable thing to do. I think it has it implies very important things about what human beings are and what it is to make undertakings. Um, it's so contrary to the notion of the modern world where things where you just fall in and out of love, um, where it's all to do with feeling or just a passing whim. But I think that's what's so lovely about this service, that it's, it's not without feeling. To promise to cherish someone is not hard and cold, but you're promising to do it, not just saying that you do it, which I think gives a great, what can I say, that there's a notion that, you, that we're able to, to just say direct our lives, not just, for, not just for five months, but for five, not just for five years, but 50 years or however long until death parts you to keep that promise. Now that I think is the great wonder of, of a service like this. And of course, when we talk about a lifelong commitment, we're talking yeah. about how future generations will be affected by these things too. Uh, the idea of a wedding like this, like a royal wedding, uh, and of course, as we've been reflecting on uh, Will and Kate's wedding and then back to Charles and Diana, these are also interconnected. We are talking about a generational way that people well, wed one another. Well, the thing is, uh, monarchy, the, the, the unusual thing about monarchy is you get into it, uh, not by being elected, um, not normally, though it have been elected monarchies, but in, our, in, the, in the, the monarchy, which is the, 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 uh, the British and now also Australian monarchy, is by being a member of a family. And being a member of a family, you either, there's two ways to be a member of a family. <laughs> you get born into it, <laughs> or you marry into it. That's the only two ways <laughs> you can get into it. Which means, therefore, that weddings were very significant in the history of the, uh, of the, of the British monarchy um, because it wasn't just a private arrangement because whoever married, both they themselves and then their offspring, uh, entered in, into the crown. And that's why uh, there are some strange rules that, may, that listeners may find very odd, but at the time were quite crucial. For example, there was a time at which, uh, when the Church of England was run almost directly by the monarch, whenever the monarch thought about what Anglicans should be like, that's what it was like. So it wandered around from being very Protestant under Edward VI to back to being fully Democratic under his sister Mary and back and forth. And so the religion of the monarch changed the church. Um, that no longer happens, I'm pleased to say, but it does still mean that the monarch, uh, the, the 
that monarch at the crown cannot marry a Roman Catholic. And the reason for that is, um, that, that no doubt will change in the future, I imagine. But at the time, being a Roman Catholic would, meet, would mean a significant change in the whole nature of the, of the English church. And therefore, private, the private life of the monarch had to be ruled by affairs of state. So it's the one marriage, Neil, the one set of marriages, which is not just private like you and I might have. It involves not just their family, but involves the, the nation. And um, that's why I, I think this wedding is so different from normal weddings too. All weddings are public events. All weddings, you say, involve family and create futures. But royal weddings are even bigger than that. Thank you so much to Rosemary from Melbourne for your inputs. one 316 Yeah, that was a, it was a great <laughs> bit of input. And while we're on families here, because, you know, we hope that there are not too many skeletons in the closet when it comes to families that unite uh, because two people get married. But it does appear that uh, Meghan Markle and her family, if those reports are to be believed, uh, there's somewhat of a dysfunctionality in her family. Does that mean anything, do you think, uh, for the future of, of how uh, Harry and Meghan might be perceived in the media and some of the scandals yeah. that may develop? I, I can't judge. Can I say, by the way, I forgot there's another way to join a family, which is by adoption. I forgot about that. That's not your hack okay. in the world, can't be. Um, Neil, to be perfectly frank, the dysfunctional families in the English monarchy uh, 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 are well, are well close to... English monarchical families have often been dysfunctional, um, partly to do with the pressure of monarchy. Um, it's very, not, not easy to be a family and uh, uh, have your father or mother the monarch. And in fact, I think... Um, Queen Victoria and Albert began to try and create a monarchy which was a, which was a proper family. I think the present Queen, um, who I, I have the highest regard for, heard all her children, I think, have had failed marriages. If I'm not mistaken, I may be wrong, so I've got that wrong. The next generation seemed to be doing better, uh, but the high ideal of Christian marriage, which is for life, is sadly in real experience often broken. And one of the problems with this marriage is, and it just can't be avoided, that Megan has once before made promises like she's going to make tomorrow, but they were not kept. I don't know why. I'm not, I'm not privy to that. That's a kind of mark on it. Um, there's concern about how she cared for her father, mother, sister. I don't quite follow the complexities, but strikes me as a very difficult marriage. I think, Neil, if, just speaking personally, if she's seen to properly care for a family and not just rush off and leave them, I think she'd be regarded very highly. I think if people think she's somehow left them behind, I think that's something that no matter what people think about marriage, we'll regard, we'll, we'll, we'll mark her down for. So a lot will depend upon how she looks after the, the dysfunctional, difficult parts of a family rather than just discard them. That's, that's my judgment anyway. Uh, Robert, uh, I mentioned that there was a Facebook comment uh, with a couple of listeners drawing attention to the idea that somehow or other all the focus on a royal wedding is like worshipping or elevating the royal wedding above where it ought to be. What are your thoughts on uh, just how important it is to have a royal wedding, but maybe is it being too highly elevated? I think that's a, such a hard one. It's a private, that, that's a matter of per, people's personal decisions. Some people will conscientiously ignore it and make a big point of not being involved. Others like myself are genuinely interested in what's going to happen and are looking forward to the experience of observing and, uh, and just seeing how it all works out and enjoy that, just the experience of uh, seeing a ceremony done well and in that context. 
Others uh, weren't maybe over the mood about it. It's, it. I think people need to, frankly, just chill about it on one, one way or the other and uh, not worry about it. We're not worshipping it, for crying out loud. That's a ridiculous comment. Though I have one thought that does worry me, what you said. Uh, you said this, this is a standard for weddings. I think the one dangerous side of the royal wedding, I may say so, it feeds into the massively expensive wedding industry. Uh, I've, uh, I've not gotten married or married my children for many years now, so I believe that the prices of weddings and the expectation for weddings is uh, a major burden on people getting married in this country. And I do think that, that one of the great downsides will be that this royal wedding will play into the this must be the perfect day in your life syndrome, which creates all kinds of pressures, financially and psychological, that I think will be unhelpful. So at one level, Neil, I think we, if we overdo this, you can be overdone if you make it a model for your own wedding. Say so. so you've got this fairy tale ideal of yeah, what well, a wedding should be, and exactly. that becomes elevated above the substance that is actually being delivered by the and, minister when he brings. And uh, what's the, def- what's ex- the definition of a fairy tale, right? Yeah, it's not true. Well, that's <laughs> right, <laughs> exactly. Yes, and as Mike and on I, Facebook I, I says, I have a rule which I have a rule in life which I hope doesn't apply here. It did apply to the, some of the big weddings in Sydney recently that the more grand the wedding, the less likely the marriage to survive. And that's been proven true <laughs> in, uh, in some of the most grand, ostentatious showbiz weddings or uh, the local councillor weddings here in Sydney. And the couple are gone before it starts. So I, I myself don't think that the grandeur of the day really means much at all. Uh, in fact, a wedding, I often put it this way, a marriage is like a rocket, not like a cannon. With a cannon, you fire a shell and it all depends upon how much Force you've got the beginning to keep it lasting. Yep. Say a big bang at the wedding service, we might make it. Whereas, of course, a rocket, as I understand it, keeps accelerating with its power in itself. So good, but it's not the wedding that makes a difference. It's, <laughs> it's whether you keep how you live out the promises you made, and frankly, whether it's done with all the riches of the world or just a simple dignified service, it doesn't really matter at all about that. In fact, too much emphasis upon the day may distract you from what marriage really is all about. And and yet, Mike on Facebook, who says something that relates to this, he says the wedding will be globally viewed. Uh, it's a Christian event that will go viral. Uh, Jesus will be mentioned and invoked and honoured. He says this is a good thing, and I suppose it wouldn't go viral, it wouldn't be important, unless it was extravagant and unless it did inspire people to make a wedding day something special. Well, it's not just the extravagant. I, 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 I think he's onto something. I'm delighted, and I'm hoping that for all of my concerns about Bishop, Cur- Bishop Curry, that in fact he does deliver a straightforward simple but clear statement of Christian marriage and, and of the Christian gospel. I hope that happens. It's not the ostentatious about it. I mean, you can, there are showbiz weddings um, which are more, more over the top, no doubt. It's the fact, it's tradition, that this belongs to a, a big picture story. There's not just a couple self-indulgently expressing themselves. They belong to something bigger than themselves, which is expressed both through the concept of monarchy and of the traditions and of the Christian faith. That's what gives it something which no other wedding can get. And that's why I think it's around the world. It will be it will be rich, but it's not the wealth. Not the wealth. I think it's it's something much deeper than that that people are attracted to, even if they're not quite sure why they're attracted to it. So I'm glad it's on. I'm glad it's people make a fuss about it. I'm not anyway pooing it. I'll be up there watching it. 
<laughs> so will I, in fact. And, and, and enjoying it. Nor do I like those who ostentatiously refuse to look at it as if somehow it's beneath them. Let's just relax on this. But it will be a moment, as it was a, um, Michael said on his Facebook page, when um, some of the questions that we're beginning to explore here, uh, we hope will be given some attention. My only concern is that the commentators, and I may be wrong, I hope I am, will emphasise everything else in the service except the bit that really matters in the service. (laughs) (laughs) I think you're absolutely right there. And the test will be whether they actually make any comments about the sermon, whether they shut up during the prayers, um, uh, whether they let the Bible reading be had, in other words, whether or whether we're going to be all the flipperies about who's wearing what and all that sort of nonsense. Now, I'm hoping for better, but with a great respect to your profession. uh, (laughs) (laughs) There's a tendency to trample over all the important parts. For the trivial and the and and the passing rather than substantial, and it may be the case tonight. I hope not. Let's take another call. We're taking calls on one eight hundred three sixteen three sixteen. Jack is in Moree in New South Wales. Hello, Jack. Welcome along. Hello. How are you? I'm very well, Jack. What are your thoughts? Well, I got married recently, about four weeks ago, and when you, I mean, I've been to plenty of weddings, but usually they're for just the day. But being properly involved with the whole, on the way there, you know, months out organising things, you realise how big of an affair it actually really is. Um, and obviously with this royal wedding, it's even bigger than a thing. Mom's only just a little thing compared to that. But there's a whole heap of extra, well, I called it fluff. Um, it's what the, the girls were quite interested in all that, so I called it fluff. My father-in-law actually at one point like, oh, here's the money, just go on the lope somewhere. But we decided not to. <laughs> didn't think that was the best option. Now, Jack, have we spoken before? You've called we in before. Have. Now, we are have. you the same Jack that was doing the single Pringle thing? Yes. And uh, you oh, became... I'm so glad you remember. You became something of a, a star for a little while uh, with your efforts to actually find someone uh, to fall in love with. So, uh, <laughs> so are we celebrating the fact that now you're, you're married four weeks ago? So congratulations. Yes. Thank you. Thank you very much. Well, uh... um, I should note that it wasn't because of the single Pringle thing. That the, uh, <laughs> You're probably unrelated. trying to keep that a secret now. <laughs> yeah. Jack, let's get some comments uh, from our guest. Robert, uh, Jack's talking about, uh, you know, the fluff yeah. and the fact well, that... Jack, I, I, yeah, I hope that, that your wife's not listening to this. <laughs> Having said it's fluff, and, but the girls are interested. So, whoa, man, he's, he's a man who doesn't quite get, get, get it. Uh, fluff is okay in life, right? I'm, I'm, mm. We all agree. There's a place for fluff. There's a place for the trivial. A place for just uh, we might, we're not deadly serious all the time. As long as we recognise this fluff and don't get carried away with it and get too anxious about it or spend too much money on it, that's my concern. No, I agree. Uh, and uh, I think that's the question. Not being perfectionist about weddings so that they really are enjoyable occasions. And the, the true heart of it, which are those promises I mentioned that you make to each other. You see, in a wedding, you wed each other. All the rest is add-on. Mm. The minister's add-on, the guests are add-on. Um, all the rest is, the key part is you wed each other by making solemn promises. And um, the rest kind of makes it. The reason why we have all the rest is so that you realise this is not just a quiet word whispered um, in private, but this is a serious lifetime undertaking. That's where the fluff, I guess, comes from. Yeah, yeah, good call. Jack but from Maureen. I urge you to be cautious in what, in what you call it. It may not go well for you, brother. 
Jack, just great to hear from you, and uh, I'm, I'm sure there will be some listeners who'll remember uh, those early calls. Uh, and this is going back some years now, but uh, certainly congratulations on your uh, wedding, and uh, you know, let's hope that the investment that you make into your marriage will be uh, even bigger than the investment that you've had to make into your wedding. Jack from Maury, thanks so much for joining us. We're taking calls on one eight hundred three sixteen three sixteen. Let's take a call from Chris in Victoria. Hello, Chris. Welcome along. And good day, Neil. I think as Christians, we've got to remind ourselves that the most royal of weddings is coming up soon, and that is the marriage supper of the Lamb. Um, you know, and the only way you get an invitation is to come via the cross and the blood of Jesus Christ for forgiveness of sins. Uh, in, in earthly um, weddings, uh, you know, the exchange vows, and they're they're virtually the same. You know, a love and a bay and that sort of thing. But in the heavenly wedding, the dividing exchange is all one way, and, and we get everything. And and most of us can appropriate a lot of that stuff right now, the divine exchange, but it will be fulfilled in all its glory in heaven. Chris, great thoughts there. The most extravagant wedding is still ahead, the marriage supper of the Lamb, which we read about in the Bible. Your thoughts, Robert Forsyth? Well, in fact, this is a, this is a key. And thank you. That's a very helpful. I'm ashamed I hadn't mentioned it earlier. Um, in our or in the order of service that will be behind the one we'll hear tomorrow night in the, in the Church of England, Anglican Church, uh, it's in describing what matrimony is. It says it's an honourable estate, in other words, it's um, instituted by God, not just an accident of sociology, signifying to us the mystical union that is betwixt Christ and his church. And uh, that's why Roman Catholics call this a sacrament, in that it's a sign. Others may not use quite that strong word, but all, my, all weddings, not just Christian weddings, are signs or reflections of the great, the greatest love of all, which is the love of Christ for his church. And that's, that lies deeply behind many Christian understandings of marriage and why it's so important. It's not just a, an arrangement, although it, it is something which reflects a deeper thing. And um, there's a way in which at the end of the age we're all going to be married, as it were, uh, and that's why we Christians don't regard weddings as lasting beyond death. It's till death us do part, because there's something like more important than marriage and weddings. And that's, that's as you call them, Mitch and Neil, um, the, the relationship of Christ and his people and being one of his people. In fact, overdoing it, and sometimes we Christians in reaction to the secularism of our world and the destructive character of our world, may be untempted actually to overplay, surprisingly, marriage to the loss of comfort for single believers, they feel out alienated in our churches, and a kind of idolatry of family, which is important, but but there's something even more important than earthly family. So I, I really welcome that comment by, by, by the... Uh, um, but by the quarter, it reminded me of the, of the bigger context that's important. Yes, and that's Chris in Victoria. Chris, thank you so much well done, for Chris. your uh, for your that. input today. One eight hundred three sixteen three sixteen. If you'd like to join in our conversation, let's take a call from Peter in Victoria. Hello, Peter. Welcome along. Hi, Neil, uh, uh, Robert, and listeners. Yeah. I don't I don't have my own opinion, so I'd like to speak the truth in love. Um, let's look to the book of uh, Romans, chapter 7, verse 1, 2, and 3. Or do you not know, brethren, for I speak to those who know the Lord, that the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives. Or the woman who has a husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as he lives. But if the husband dies, she is released from the law of her husband. So then, if 
while her husband lives, she marries another man, she will be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law, so that she is no adulteress, though she has married another man. Okay, Peter, uh, very controversial here because a lot of listeners uh, will be reading into, <clears throat> pardon me, uh, that scripture as you read it, uh, either their own circumstances or even uh, putting Meghan Markle into uh, that category. Uh, this is a, a deep and controversial one here, Robert Forsyth. Uh, Meghan Markle, uh, the words of scripture in Romans, uh, the idea of uh, of adultery when you are a divorced person marrying another. No, no, the, the, wait, 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 wait. The, the text says nothing about divorce. Okay, all right. If you're married to one man and you marry another while he's alive, that's adultery. Absolutely right. Yep. It's, now, I, I, the question of how marriage is is a very difficult one. Uh, there are at least a number of views. Um, some hold that marriages can't be dissolved. This is the Roman Catholic view that when, when our Lord said, what man has joined together, let no one put asunder, it meant you can't put it asunder. You are still married no matter what. Others hold the view that you shouldn't put asunder that it's possible under certain circumstances to put asunder, even though that's a tragedy, you know, contrary to God's uh, good purposes. But certainly the text on its face, although St. Paul's not interested in our issue, he's talking about a far more important question about the relationship of, God, of God's people now that Christ has come to the Torah, the Mosaic law. But the principle is absolutely right. Absolutely right. If, you, if, if you're married to... If you, because in the service, Megan and Harry will say, uh, keep to you only as long as... Uh, it's, it's an exclusive, crucial, this one. Marriage is not just us, it's exclusive. And therefore, when you make a promise, it's not just for life. You're making a promise for this person only for life. And that's crucial. So I, 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 that's, that's what marriage means. And if you don't mean that, if you, if you, that's why adultery uh, is so just terribly destructive in marriages. Peter from Victoria, thank you so much for your call, uh, an important call, and this idea of uh, remaining faithful during marriage in a lifelong relationship. Is this reinforced, do you think, in a royal wedding? To me? You're asking me that? Yeah. Well, <laughs> oh, that it were. <laughs> oh, that it were. Uh, I'm afraid not. Um is that because uh, is that because as you mentioned earlier that uh, so many of the uh, the Queen Elizabeth's family have gone well, through divorce? Well, I wasn't divorce. just thinking of her. I mean, it was well known uh, king uh, kings kings of years centuries earlier were well known to have mistresses. It was quite common. Uh, Henry the Eighth, and of course, uh, well known for well, his at, at six wives. His, uh, his concern was that I don't know if he had mistresses. He may well have had mistresses. His issue was to do with breaking. I'm thinking of uh, George the Fourth, Edward the Seventh. Whole range of them. Who knows? I, I can't go back. It was just almost taken for granted that the George Charles II. Uh, I'm afraid partly because of the pressure on marriage, on, on royal marriages, to be state affairs and not just private affairs. Sometimes you marry someone you're not really easy to get on with for the sake of state, and you keep your your, your, your partner or your mistress going. And I think that's part of the tragedy. I think of Charles and Diana. I think that that. Looking back at it, um, I'm not condemning, condoning for a moment his behaviour, but it looks like it was set up because he had to marry a certain kind of person. Certainly, well, I think with Princess Margaret, and although I'm glad he never got to be, didn't stay long as king, that the sense that the problems over King Edward VIII and his divorce, marrying a divorced woman, they all were issues where the person you were allowed to marry as a monarch or in the royal, you, you were tighter rules than you could marry as a commoner like us. And therefore, you set yourself up 
to make it even harder. So I'm sorry to say this, but uh, um, I don't see... I wish it were so. Uh, being, a, being a royal marriage is more risky than being an ordinary marriage. Now, Robert, of course, uh, uh, Harry is sixth in line to the throne. Yeah, uh, William, uh, who is, uh, you know, uh, uh, after Charles, in line, there's a direct lineage there. Do you think that the royal yep. family pays much closer attention uh, to Absolutely. getting all of those things right with those who are directly in line? I think also, yeah, but I think also, I think the disaster, disaster is too strong a word, that the, the real rough patch we've had with, um, with both Guy and Charles, I think, and the royal family, the, royal, the royalty, the crown in England survives by reinventing itself too, by the way. That's one of its great, one of the great messages of all this. I think they decided to change, go on a slightly different way with this matter. I'm hoping it's very successful. I'm hoping that, that, um, Harry and 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 Megan um, Megan have a very successful as, I, as it looks to me that that William and Kate are having, um, and that being more relaxed will actually help. Um, who knows? Who knows? Uh, I suspect they they've decided to relax with the boys and give the boys more. I can use that rather patronising term of the next line of the crowd. Um, give them a more relaxed time because the more stuffy old approach has been shown to not have worked well. So we'll see. We'll see. Well, we're just uh, only a couple of minutes remaining for our conversation. Let me ask you, and I'm sure there's a bigger answer than you'll be able to give, but a short response. Uh, The idea of uh, monarchy... And, uh, of course, as we here in Australia, we we see uh, the Queen, Queen Elizabeth, and uh, the monarchy is our monarchy at this particular point as well. Uh, Issues to do with uh, weddings, monarchy, and freedoms, because uh, you're a a defender these days of religious freedom. And uh, the idea of... I've always been that. And, and of course, and well, that's right. But these things, of course, are very meaningful because our freedoms are under threat right now. What are your thoughts about uh, connections to monarchy, royal weddings, and really where we ought to be thinking of our future freedom? And, and make it quick. Thanks, Neil. <laughs> In 60 seconds. <laughs> I myself am happy to have a monarchical system because it reminds us that the authority is not from the... Is the authority comes from God and not us. But I don't want the monarch to run the country. I wanted to be in the name of the monarch, a symbolic source of authority, so that so that we don't just. I think a constitutional monarchy is a good a good, a good way to preserve the rule of law and freedoms, because it reminds us those who pass the laws they do it not in their own name, and not just about us. In practice, I think on the whole, monarch, monarchical constitutional monarchical societies provide a way of providing a limitation to the to the to the excesses of parliament, mostly not always. Not always. Um, there have been some terrible countries with monarchies, but on the whole, I think monarchies tend to be a bit safer than republics. That's not saying we shouldn't be a republic. I myself am happy to stay where we are. I do think that the limitations of government are as important as the powers of government and that there is, there is a tradition, an English tradition of, of freedoms which we have inherited and made our own here in Australia, which is very precious and needs to be guarded. I really do. 
Well, Robert Forsyth, just great getting your impressions. And uh, like yourself, uh, I'll be up watching the Royal Wedding tomorrow night, as that happens our time. And I'll point people to perhaps uh, the website for the Centre for Independent Studies uh, for some articles that you've written uh, on issues to do with freedom, on issues to do with uh, all sorts of uh, different uh, connections with your uh, with your uh, role there as a senior fellow with the Centre for Independent well, Studies. Only, I mean, I'm, I'm only there... Very part time. Peter Curty is my. You may know he's a, he's much more engaged, but you will think I do recommend people look at that. There's some really good stuff there. It's not a Christian organisation. It's secular in the sense of it, it doesn't pick winners. <laughs> but it is well worthwhile people being engaged with, as well as uh, uh, there are many other very fine Freedom for Faith. It's another excellent organisation on this um, giving a real lead in the religious freedom area. I recommend that one too. And uh, I'm sure listeners will appreciate the value of having someone like yourself and uh, Peter Curdy, who has been a guest on 2020 a number of times, uh, who are engaging in that centre for independent studies and uh, and with the issues that the nation is facing. Robert Forsyth, a former Anglican Bishop of South Sydney. I mentioned he's a senior fellow with the Centre for Independent Studies. You can Google that to find those articles we're talking about. But Robert, thank you so much for taking some time to share your thoughts and your heart with us today about the Royal Wedding here on 2020. You're welcome. Love to talk to you. Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.